Okay, Michael, can can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Cool. Well, that's good. Your your audio sounds good too. Excellent. Very nice. Well, hello everyone. Imaginary listeners. If anyone <laughs> ever decides to listen to this, it'll be amazing. <laughs> but welcome to the inaugural Dennis and Michael or Michael and Dennis speak sci-fi. I think, in all fairness, this is probably more the Dennis and Michael show. <laughs> I, only, I, uh, only because I started the recording. Uh, I would argue more. It's 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 it kind of goes into how our conversation's been at the start, and you know I might give it a kick. So most most folks might might know uh, Dennis and I from knowing us, friends and family. But for those of you who randomly hear this, uh, my name is Michael. Uh, and this is Dennis, and we have uh, a very unique life path. We became friends. We went to school down in uh, Western College at the time, now Western State University. I think it's changed names again. And Dennis and I had the unique scenario of for four years plus of school down in Gunnison, Colorado, we had a lot of classes overlap. And as those classes overlapped, we were able to take a lot of courses together, courses from like economics. Um, Dennis even brought to my attention today. I for, totally forgot. We had a film watching course. Yes, we did. And I think what's really interesting is the context of why we wanted to start these recordings was Dennis and I had very similar th- thought processes as we were going through school. We like to take very real life grounded subjects like economics, science, biology, and we liked applying them to fun, funner topics that were a little more entertaining, specifically in things like pop culture. And as things progressed, Dennis and I moved on. We had our careers and different jobs, but we kind of came back and realized, man, there are some amazing topics out there, specifically in science fiction, that we wanted to pick each other's brains on. I don't know if that justifies enough for you, Dennis, but I feel like that was kind of a start of why we wanted to have this conversation. No, I, I would have to say that that's precisely why the, the way I, I've seen it from my perspective is that we, we've always kind of been drawn to each other for some type of intellectual curiosity or conversations or something like just off the wall topics that are just fun to talk about. So that, that's what we've always been drawn to. Now us being friends throughout the years, we kind of go on our different paths and go in different areas and we kind of evolve in different manners, different ways but we could always come back and kind of connect to have those intellectual conversations. Now that we found some common ground in sci-fi, I think there's just a ton to talk about. So I, I find it really fun, really exciting. And this is something that's like not, it's really organic between you and I. So I'm like, yeah, I think it was a great idea to start a podcast and just at least record our conversations. If nothing else for maybe our benefit, maybe someone else will find it interesting too. But no, I think that that's a, that's a perfect summary. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think the other component that made this very interesting was that both of us were coming at science fiction from very different backgrounds. I, uh, is a, I'll, I'll kick it with kickstart here with, I've been embedded within sci-fi since I was a kid. I was, I was eight years old when I first started watching 2001, a space odyssey. I didn't quite understand it <laughs> for the most part, <laughs> but as I was going through it, I, 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 it was just, it was ingrained to me as part of my blood. And, and something I developed over the years is more movies came out and, you know, books were released, comic books, music, 
TV shows. I recognize that, like all art forms, science fiction is a general topic. Um, you know, follows the general rule of thumb of um, uh, copying someone is the ultimate form of flattery. And I found that it was really fascinating to see how many new science fiction shows and movies were tied into older ones. But I think it was really interesting and why I wanted to field this conversation with Dennis was that, Dennis, I think your path's a bit different. I don't want to speak for you, but maybe you can describe high level kind of your, 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 your journey into sci-fi as a, as a, as a genre in general. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I like your explanation of it because it really kind of gives you like, you have the fundamental sense that this is something that interests you very early on. You like the classic movies, the beginning ones, the, the movies from the seventies, eighties, nineties, and watch it progress over time. I enjoyed like mystery science 3000 with my dad when I was a kid. <laughs> it was, it was fun. Yeah. It, was, it was comedic. It was, it was, it was good entertainment value. And I, I really kind of took it at face value for the most part. Then as I, got older, progressed my understanding of science, how I perceive the world to work and how it does work. And I start diving a little bit more and like, Oh, that's why that happens. That's an orbit. Or like, this is how data works. Or just like putting into like some of the new age sci-fi stuff. That's more applicable to like what we're seeing as a civilization, like in, in the modern era, I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. And I'm starting to like dive into a little bit more. I'm almost coming at the backwards end of it where I'm like, I'm looking at newer science fiction and working my way backwards. Like, Oh, this is, rooted in truth from a previous story from a previous story. Now let's put it in a historical context that goes back over centuries, over generations and just like expands into something. You and I have talked about this. Like it's always rooted in some type of truth. And then I, I'm really interested in learning how different civilizations around the world operated from like thousands of years ago. And like, what is unique about humans? Like what do we all have in common over time? So it's it's a lot to dive into without going into a huge tangent, but that's kind of where I'm coming from. That's why I find this so interesting because I'm like, I see some of this rooted in truth and not being as far-fetched and taking it at face value. So that, that's what interests me, though. That's perfect. And I think that, I think that what was the, the, the fulcrum of this is seeing this connection. You know, I've, I've been watching and consuming sci-fi as we progress through, but then some more recent tr- trends have changed the game quite a bit. We saw, as the genres go, uh, a move for science fiction becoming more of a credible genre and out of the big box movie theater, right? The blockbuster summer movies mm-hmm. that sci-fi have typically stuck to. And we really saw a maturation of TV shows. Um, and as that happened, I can see how that drew you in and, and caused all kinds of interest. And the fulcrum of your intro into sci-fi and mine couldn't be the, the more appropriate for the topic of today's conversation, which is Ridley Scott's Raised by Wolves. And what I found so fascinating is here it is, a one of many modern sci-fi TV shows that is episodic, that is very adult-themed, very aggressively, you know, uh, wrestling with very high thought philosophical conversations about religion, society, economics, culture, ethics, um, and tying it in like Ridley Scott always does with lots of ancient culture, lots of reoccurring themes from his previous topics. And I couldn't picture a better topic to tie in your experience from some of the more modern sci-fi TV shows like The Expanse. You know, um, the, uh, what was that one? The, the Umbrella Academy, I think. I don't know uh, if you watched that. but not that, yet. 
that general genre, but now having a lot of core tie-ins with some legacy sci-fis. So um, great, great point of context and great, great topic, I think, for today's discussion. Yep. And uh, for purpose of today's discussion, obviously looking at Raised by Wolves, uh, we're just going to be covering Season 1, Episode 1, which is entitled Raised by Wolves, just kind of like the pilot episode, if you will, that HBO kind of gave it to. And uh, the structure, in case anyone cares or listens, uh, we're going to go over a brief summary of the episode itself and try to draw some type of, we're going to give some observations, uh, some meanings, maybe some tie-ins to the rest of the Ridley Scott, I guess, uh, quote-unquote, maybe universe I might be speaking too soon. And then kind of give our, our rating of it and then draw a conclusion from it. And then we'll do it one episode at a time just to really kind of take some, gather some meaning and really kind of have a, a great discussion about it. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but uh, yeah, I mean, we, we can just kind of jump into it. You want me to go ahead and do a, a quick summary, Michael? That'd be awesome. So I'm going to go ahead and try to switch over to my other screen and hopefully it doesn't stop recording. So episode one, season one, episode one description of this is after earth is rendered inhabitable, androids start a settlement on an end a new family with human embryos on a planet Kepler 22 B. So that is it in a, in a nutshell. Uh, how would you like to proceed from here? Do you want to kind of go through and just give yeah. like one quick, like here, this is what happened like in a chronological order. I think that would be good. I think one caveat, and this is the, the, <laughs> the cliche of modern, um, you know, consumer based media where anyone's watching YouTube or podcasts, there's the spoiler alert. Yep, exactly. <laughs> my, my general take here is that if you haven't watched this episode, then you should not be listening to this podcast. You have control over the information of the entire world at your fingertips, either through your phone or whatever device you're potentially listening to this on. You have that power. Stop this and go watch <laughs> the show. That being said, this is a spoiler alert for every episode. I think, especially in this genre, that in order to have a, uh, an enriching conversation, you can't dance around stuff. you got to cut to it. And that's what we're going to be doing every episode. So fair warning, spoiler alert, we're going to be going through a brief summation of the episode so we can start to derive some meaning from it and how it could be applicable to other things. So, Dennis, you don't mind, yeah. drive right into that, that uh, chronological breakout, I think, yeah. you started. Yeah, no, we, we could definitely do that. So if you guys are at this point, it's the point of no return, too bad. If you haven't seen him. <laughs> so the, the way Fair. we start off the episode, uh, basically you start off with a, a very brief qu quote from who you'll find out is Campion. And then later it kind of falls into a spaceship hurdles towards a planet uh, into the point where it, it wrecks into the planet, crash, crash lands and goes near a hole where it almost falls in. Uh, you're, you're awakened by two androids. Uh, one of them being named mother, one one of them being named father. Uh, father awakens, says, "Mother, are you okay?" Oh, yes, okay, yes, that's fine. Then they find out that they have a problem; they're falling into the hole. You know, father tries to make a quick joke as they're escaping the pod and jumping out. Uh, at which point, uh, she kind of laughs at it, and turns out that that's going to be a reoccurring theme that he he tries to make a lot of jokes. Now, come to find out, they they set up a camp uh, out on the planet. Uh, they set up a, a kind of like a makeshift tent. Something just kind of pops up in the middle of nowhere, almost like a half sphere. And from there, you'll find out that they have uh, human embryos along with them. 
in which case the female character, Mother, uh, she plugs these, uh, I don't know what you want to call them, Michael, like wires into her like belly, uterus, whatever, and then she kind of puts them out into the embryos themselves so she can nourish them or kind of take them through the birthing process as if they were in the womb. So kind of cutting a little bit further forward, they end up with six babies, in which case one of them is not breathing. And you would think that there's like, we need to take this baby and we need to break it down for protein for the other one so they can survive in a very, just like very harsh way to like, look at things like, Hey, like basically, Hey, these are wolves. One of them didn't survive. We're going to feed them to the rest. In which case mother being a Android says, no, give me that baby. I want to, I want to have a look at it. Like, let me hold it against me. Let let me let it breathe. And then she more or less kind of nurses it back to life, feels the breath of it. And that one ends up living now quickly you kind of go through a, a quick time jump in which case they they brought an interesting uh quote i don't know if we'll talk about this a little bit later michael but uh where they talk about the the future is invisible and in even to androids so i thought that was something that would be cool to kind of pull out there and we could talk about that maybe a little bit later but later kind of sure. i'll kind of speed it up here a little bit more but they're looking around they find skeletons of dinosaurs or like whatever it could be dinosaurs some sort of creatures that lived before them and then one of the children named tally wanders off falls in a hole in which case mother comes to find her can't find her howls at the in the sky and you're wondering like wow she really is like a wolf just like the name wow interesting haha <laughs> and then uh we go into another time jump uh there's only two children left it's snowing uh, this we kind of jump into like mother kind of more or less having a, a quick discussion with him about atheists versus uh, people that believe in religion, uh, kind of more or less pushing that you can't be a part of religion because atheists are peaceful. And that's how we view things really kind of gearing them towards the atheists. Like that's the only way that you can live and we can repopulate this pa- planet is that if we get away from religion. So interesting dynamic there. Uh, I wrote down a note just like all praise science, science only. I'm like, well, it's kind of a cult in itself, isn't it? Like, is that the the opposite of religion? But it was just interesting there. But um, moving on from there, father looks to the sky, kind of sees something out there. And then uh, the the second or the number two of the children, uh, what was their name? Spria passes away. So they're left with one child left. Now, I'll try to kind of skip through this a little bit more. So, come to find out, the the arc of the Mithraic has been circling the planet, and they call it heaven, if you will, which is filled with uh, more humans and androids that come from the Mithraic religion. Uh, And then Father, wanting to save Campion, the last born child, or the last surviving child, I should say, uh, wants to go back down into the hole to retrieve the spaceship so they can call back up to the ark, heaven, to say, hey, come save us. So uh, from there, mother kind of, she learns that she can levitate. She goes into a simulation back into her brain, starts uh, reliving some things, understanding things. She's like, wow, I have more powers than I ever thought about it. And then she kind of accosted Campion, like, where were you? Where were you this afternoon? And she starts asking him. He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm, she's like, you're lying and really displays a lot of human emotion, which is kind of crazy to me. I'm like, oh, you're a, I thought you were a cold android that just kind of kills people and like doesn't really give a damn, but then kind of displays this human motherly emotion towards them. Uh, well, jumping forward even a little bit further, uh, mother kind of goes out digging through the garden like a, like a maniac, really trying to find something all through all these dinosaur bones. 
Uh, let's see here. Uh, shut down. Campaign as a whole. Uh, then from there, she uh, goes and kind of points out to Father, like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you defying orders? And he's like, well, we need to make sure that he lives. He's an endangered species. And she says, no, no, that's that's too much. Like, you can't do that. You can't disagree with me. And then gets into this very heated argument where she ends up killing Father on one of the uh, on one of the dragon bones. Just kind of like impales him, if you will. And then, uh, I mean, it's yeah. really intense, really cold. Like, it kind of gives you the shock of, like, wow, this is the first episode. And you guys are already really kind of jumping into it right away. In which case, they uh, just say his father's malfunctioning. He's now shut down. He's no longer around. Like, really sketchy, like. And then, come to find out, they go back. He, uh, Campion goes back and calls up to the mothership all the way up uh, or through the spaceship that they crash landed in. Comes back to find mother passed out in a hole. So he goes and sleeps with her, falls asleep, and only to awake to a bunch of humans kind of walking around looking at them, saying like, hey, uh, what, what's going on here? What are you guys doing? In which case they said, like, don't tell them that we're, I'm an android. Don't tell them that we're atheists. They kind of get into a, a little bit of a back and forth and say, like, I prefer that you guys leave. He said, but you guys called us. What's going on here? So more or less, uh, they say, like, hey, we're very hungry. I see you have a lot of food. Can we go ahead and stay here and eat? In which case, over the course of the conversation of them eating food, just interacting with mother, they find out, well, well, she's an android. She's breaking down. She's starting to go crazy. And, like, it's not safe for this child to be here. We need to take him back up into our mothership. In which case, they get into a – they go to take Campion back on the mothership. And then, which case, they get into a badass, very brutal, very violent android fight between him and – I wrote down the name here. Oh – was his name kill or something like that yeah it's okay yeah no worries i i you know i think i i think i think um i think we have like this this is this is perfect i think it's good it's good for anyone to get a bit of a recap and again i think the concept is the spoiler alert if you're watching this you've seen the episode and i think that keeping in context all those things um it, it 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 ends up with the end of the episode right which is basically I'm trying to look at my own notes here. It was a, it was essentially, yeah, go ahead. But basically mother goes up to the ark, right? When she uncovers this new power she has, uh, we find out later, right? Like she has some capabilities that are quite profound. She's not, she's different from father. And in being different from father, uh, she has this ability to levitate, to become uh, immune to damage, and this ability to destroy people. And she basically nukes the yeah, arc. Yeah, she wrecks right? it. She she blows everyone to like, you know, liquid jets of blood. Right? Just wrecks them. Basically takes these kids, brings them back down to earth, and her motherly programming takes over. And rather than recognizing that these children were Mithraic children, and 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 decides she's going to take them under her wing to raise them on their new colony that these two droids androids were starting is there any other key points or is that really where i'm trying to confirm well i mean that that's essentially it that that was like the the quick way of doing it that like she uncovers these different powers that like literally she could look at someone scream at them and explode and like then they're just like gone and like it's almost like okay this this came kind of came out of nowhere and then you come to find out she could levitate and like she has very interesting things that she could do and she's very dangerous and she's very unhinged she's a she's kind of like a a crazy mother figure that will do anything at all costs to save her children and then it kind of even gets into the dynamic of like 
I'm saving these other children and kind of giving you like a, a real life correlation of like, maybe like what if you looked at a, a woman that's like stealing children from other families, <laughs> like it almost gets to the point where I'm like, wow, that is right. super dark and super creepy. But you also have to remember in the back of your head, I'm like, well, she's an Android program to like, make sure that human life progresses on this planet. So, I mean, it, it's really like, it kind of gives you both sides of it, like, oh, fantasy. But then you kind of like root in like, well, what if this is reality? That'd be super creepy, wouldn't it? Right. Yeah, I think that I, I, I think it's very interesting. And they, and they do play this out in later episodes around what does it mean to be yeah. a mother? Right. Um, and I think that it, it, it kind of gets into what the background is of the science fiction. It's something that is tested a lot about science fiction, about what it, what it means to raise things and all these kind of different concepts. What I thought and what I think could be interesting is making some observations about this as a science fiction in general around like why, why they chose the things they did um, could be really fun. One thing I was really impressed with out of the gate was, and it's something that <laughs> for all the years I've watched science fictions, I've seen a lot of science fictions balk, like, like they're, or botch it, like they really mess up. Uh, one thing that's really cool about this first episode of Raise the World and all the series is the planet they're on is Kepler-22b, which any of those semi-astronomy nerds out there would know is mm -hmm. actually an exoplanet that was recently found. And so this is theoretically a realistic planet. And you see it over the years, so many different science fictions try to, like, you know, figure it out. How do I tell a story? You know, the quintessential Star Wars completely sidestepped everything and said, galaxy far, far away, right? Let's just, let's just remove ourselves from, from this, from, remove our reality from the, mm -hmm. the, the purpose of the story. What was so interesting with Raised by Wolves is they <clears> said, no, it's so deeply tied into what it means to be human. A lot of things are presumed. And so when they picked Kepler-22b, which I think, and don't quote me on this, I believe it's roughly 500 light years away, is pretty damn far. Um, these androids took a big risk in trying to set this up. And, you could, and, and, and the general sense I got from this was they were very selective with picking a minimalist set. It's just really two actors kind of going back and forth. And, man, I got to give them credit. These two people did a great job depicting – an android devote devote of emotion but having a programming to work with people to either possess emotions that they can actually obtain through life experiences or having it being programmed into them and i thought that was very interesting about what science fiction is really built to do in a lot of ways i think it's built to get us to question and to think about things from a different point of view how can you have Simple, uh, in, a, in, a, in a very simple depiction, how can you have two non-human things raise humans, and how would they do that? Um, and I thought that was really interesting uh, pick for both these. And I thought the cliches of of the mother and the father, the father having dad yeah. jokes, basically, right, was actually perfect. And the actors did such a good job depicting these cliche parental roles that it was convincing. I was watching these, you know, blank slate, skin tight, silver suits, right? These two actors who depict themselves as androids. They're on this planet. Is it cold? Is it not? Doesn't matter. They're an android, right? They're fine. But they did such a good job of trying to communicate with each other, and their very speech was so to the point. 
it, it felt like we were watching, you know, uh, Brent Spiner's data from next Star Wars, Star Trek Next Gen. And I thought they did a really good job of depicting this type of dialogue of how would these two androids who aren't necessarily networked together, they're two individuals, what would their very logic-driven conversation sound like and how they're trying to determine the success of the future of the children and, and, the, and the safety of each other was so logic-driven that it was quite fascinating. And I thought from an observation perspective, Ridley Scott did a beautiful job of a minimalist scenario. Their costumes are not frivolous. They're very minimalist. The shots of the planet when they came in were very stark, very barren. I think they, I think they filmed this. I looked afterwards. They filmed this in South Africa, but a couple of the shots that came in look similar to some other shots of other shows that shoot in um, Jordan, where these very high, peering rocks and open valleys of desert. And I think what it, what's really nice about that is it, it really Scott is trying to take us to not think so much about the peripheral, about all the buttons and whistles that typically come with sci-fi to immerse the audience in the illusion. It's ignoring those and focusing on the philosophy that's actually a point here. How, how could a group of children be raised by androids who are not human beings? And I think the meaning behind a lot of this is inherent with the very title of the, of, of the, show, of the show and the title of the episode, which is Raised by Wolves. I think a lot of meaning was placed in this to have similarities with the well, starting of Rome. I was um, going to say I, I found yeah. a lot of, of ties on that note about like, what does it mean to like be a part of, of one pack of wolves, how ruthless do they had to be to survive and how pragmatic do they have to be just to, you know, like survive a winter and cold like that to kill things. They had to like do it. They had to like eat their young. They had to do all that stuff. But then I, I found there was an interesting dynamic of bringing, new human children down from heaven from the the ark and then bringing them and incorporating them with the last lone human they have on this planet so you have to kind of incorporate and there's some dynamics go there like who's going to be posturing socially who's going to be kind of deciding who eats when and who's going to be like there's a whole new thing that you kind of have to incorporate against each other and be like i don't know are these things going to kill me are they not but don't worry i have mother wolf who's going to look out for me at all times so he's still kind of under her wing. And I, I definitely kind of keep that in the back of my head as I see that. But yeah, just to generically speak, like how does this relate to them being raised by something that's not necessarily them? I thought it was super, super interesting. I find some meaning through that. I think I, I completely agree. I, I also believe that the set, the feeling of the show as it started with the vast landscape how dangerous the planet was. They get there and they almost die just upon entry. And it's just two of them that they look very vulnerable. You felt vulnerable. You felt at risk. So when they uh, you know, address some of those concerns, when they're trying to take care of these, when they're trying to take care of these kids, do they decide whether or not to, you know, one of the children is having trouble breathing. Do they decide to break down the child to feed to the others? For a second, you're thinking, well, if you don't have anywhere else to go, as extreme as that is, you're in a very extreme yeah. scenario. You guys are isolated. This is, this is a tough decision to make. I felt that it, it really uh, gets at the symbolism, the concepts of what it would take to actually go and be a spacefaring, I don't want to say species, but individual. Anyone who's going to a place that bleak, and would have to survive, would have to take such extreme measures. And that's where I see 
modern canvas of sci-fi, which is giving a creator like Ridley Scott more colors to paint with that allows the audience to buy into the story, to tell an older story of Romulus and Remus from Rome and these two children being raised, right, by wolves and how they come to later rule the Roman Empire and there's all kinds of stories there and I would suggest anyone listening to this absolutely should, should look into some of the key tie-ins there. But I think that in general, it was a great uh, execution. I, I, I thought they did a great job. The, 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 the soundtrack was very interesting, very minimalistic. You know, this isn't your buttons and whistles flashy sci-fi. This is very straight to the point, very thought-provoking, asking the audience to think critical about these topics and to address them that's a openly i by what um, the thing that i thought about just kind of the landscape the feeling of and the way you're looking at it and even down to the uh the type of costumes that they're wearing is that the, we look back of this as kind of like a retro right. sci-fi theme of something that's very simple very pure very just like a couple things very minimalist but i mean that's literally what it is like you're going on an uninhabited planet with like nothing else left to you so they they kind of use what they what they had right there and that's why I liked about it. it was super pragmatic and they kind of push you into that sense or that, that way of thinking about the whole, the whole, uh, I guess the, the whole series. Agreed. I, what, one of the reasons I, I really gravitated towards this is as I was seeing the trailers, I got undertones of some of Ridley Scott's previous works and themes that I think come from his previous works that caught my interest. Um, and that, that's one of the reasons I was like, man, I got to watch the show. When Ridley Scott does stuff, he puts a lot of meaning and thought behind these, these, these stories that he tells. And I think a lot of them coincide to perhaps messages he's trying to deliver or things as an artist that he's trying to convey to the audience. And I think if I were to make any of those key tie-ins tie that I've, I've done some research after watching the episodes are not necessarily direct tie-ins. In, in modern sci-fi times, there's expanded universes, right? Like Star Trek, Star Wars. Um, Ridley Scott almost arguably has his own universe, specifically in the Alien franchise that he created. Um, but the, I, I saw a statement from him because there's so many undertones that connect Raised by Wolves to other films Ridley Scott has made, specifically to the Alien franchise, that it's hard to not presume they're in the same cinematic universe something comparable to Marvel or DC or something of that nature. And he came out and said, no, that is not the case at all. This is its own unique show. Um, but the undertones, the, 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 uh, the way it's filmed, the style and the topics specifically have so much tie in. You can tell he's using the same palette from a painting perspective when writing the story. And I think some of the key ones that are worth tying or mentioning uh, are some of the ones that are already inherent in the story. Androids. I still, to this date, have failed to see any science fiction deliver a more realistic depiction of what an android would potentially look like, especially an android close enough to human being, as Ridley Scott did in the original Aliens, or sorry, original Alien film. Um, and the androids in Raised by Wolves seem to follow a very similar logic. It's this very realistic synthetic biological tech where the android's blood is like mm. milk. It's not red like ours. Um, they don't feel pain. So they can kind of dig through their body like the father when he was stabbed and punctured on this, the, the, the bone of that dragon thing in the first episode. 
was he was literally able to dig inside himself and kind of fix himself as needed, right? Or, or mother was able to dig in him and do the same and would never wince at the pain. They're androids. They can turn that pain off with the flip of the switch, right? But I thought that that tie-in is, is very, was a great color to pick in this. I, I think some other co- topics that were very inherent from the Alien franchise is that really Scott has a lot to say about motherhood. Um, you know, the, it's not worth, worth going into too much details, but the whole concept of his alien and aliens, the xenomorph, as designed by H.G. Geiger, which, again, I'd highly recommend seeing if anyone hasn't, um, is uh, all very, very tied into, like, motherhood, right? What it means to be a mother. It's further explored in the sequel, Aliens, done by James Cameron. But, like, he has a lot to say about what that means, and I feel that in the genres he had to depict in the past, where in order to get an audience to even go to a movie, he had to create a horror film, and arguably one of the best horror films there is. But he had to bait audiences in through that horror aspect to get them to think about bigger things. He later in his career tried to create sequels that were not so much horror films, i.e. the prequel Prometheus or the sequel to Prometheus Covenant both very biblical and religious in orientation, very similar to Raised by Wolves. But the overall thoughts he's trying to get the audience to think critically about is what, what does it mean to be human? Uh, as we progress our technology, how much are we leaving behind? Well, would, would a modern mother that's not even a human, you know, centuries from now, still have the same compassion for her children? And it, it, it makes us think critically about any decisions we make on a daily basis with our technology today. What should or shouldn't you use? How should you approach parenting? And are we losing something as we progress into, into further technology? And I think that this show is taping, taking some of those general concepts and themes and is telling a whole brand new story, completely separate, that uh, exercises those thoughts so that nerds like Dennis <laughs> and I can sitting yeah, about it for a while while you uh, it, interesting thought that uh, i was just having myself about like the prog- progression of, of mankind and the idea that like earth is now uninhabitable uh, presumably from some uh, giant fallout war of some sort that like humans are kind of killing each other over maybe religious beliefs whatever social beliefs whatever it might be and that the this android mother and father are tasked with uh creating a, a like repopulating another and like keeping the human species alive in which case they say like you have to be atheist because that they're peaceful they don't fight they don't have violence but yet it's okay for an android to be capable of violence and being capable of exploding people with her mind in her like screaming at them and all that but it's just interesting that like humans shouldn't do that because that's the way that you progress and that's how you survive as a species in a way but like that's the human condition of like you versus them like just a very binary way of thinking of like good versus evil and things like that. So I just find that it's, it's interesting, like hey, humans to survive, you guys can't have violence, but we created these androids to do violence for us. So interesting dynamic there. Yeah. It, it comes very much into play in later episodes around, you know, how her abilities to, to float, which, and, and to be this menacing weapon that's basically indestructible, what, why that happens and what the core is there. But I, I really like how they, she, mother is put in a position where she does not know those things. 
we always look at Android as a form of technology. It's like an iPhone. You could just look in the settings and flip a switch and fix it, right? You, you, the, the device itself is inherently intelligent and can understand and, and execute all its capabilities. As an Android, she was unable to have that. So it makes her very relatable. That's why I think the audience can feel for her when she's put through hardship, feel for her when she's trying to take care of these kids and have that quintessential empathy that is so tied into a lot of Ridley Scott's films. He's always had to have a strong female character that the audience has clear empathy with and is trying to navigate a very difficult situation. One thing I thought that was absolutely fascinating when she took this form, this alternative later to be dubbed necromancer form, she, you know, does like a body tee and free floats and her face turns crazy metallic and strange and she basically can fly around and blow shit up by screaming at them. I thought the symbolism and the, and the imagery of it was quite fascinating. When I first saw it, my knee-jerk reaction is harkening back to a very old, arguably one of the first science fictions ever created. Um, I think it was in 1920-something, Metropolis, where it depicts, you know, high society above and like a low society below, talking about society, society striations and there's this robot that's the quintessential image of it. If you Google Metropolis, you'll see this female robot. And I felt like it was hearkening back to that. I later saw an article that Ridley Scott was referencing it to a statue of Atlas in New York City, but in a female form. Something very strong, um, very menacing, very terrifying if you were to come across it. And we'll unravel that as we go through some more of these, uh, these episodes around you know, what was she built for originally? What was her intention? How was this made? But the imagery they depict in this was very fascinating. Again, uh, very simple, straightforward, cut to the chase so you can dive more into thinking about what, what were they doing? Was it right? Was it the right thing? Is this what society should be doing? Is this what should happen? But ultimately doing what most science fiction should start with, a lot of questions. Where do these androids come from? Why are they different? Why... What's their intent to take care of these kids? Why are they so hellbound on raising these kids as atheists? Why, you know, is, is, is this, why are, why is the, these other factions uh, not okay with atheism? What is this, what is this war that you mentioned about? And I think figuring all that out is going to be really fascinating as these episodes unfold and yeah. we can kind of chat. I, all I think so. I look forward to a lot of it in uh now officially going through these episodes a, a second time now i get to see a hell of a lot more and i understand a lot more specifically after i got past episode five and kind of re-watching them it, it's it's great to see i'm like yep yeah, things are starting to click now and starting to make more sense and just like any good storytelling it progresses then they kind of leave you in suspense and trying to find out like that's not an answer question you store in the back of your mind for later and then bam like you find it later on like it's really it's it's rewarding i'll say it's been rewarding to watch and actually put some thought towards but I, I think uh, it sounds like we're probably at a, a good stopping place here for episode one. Uh, looking forward, yep. next episode, season one, I'd episode agree. two, is called Pentagon. Uh, we'll go into a quick summary on that one. But other than that, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, anything to add before we sign off here? No. Oh, yeah. What would you think? What would you rate uh, it as a high good. level? Being yeah, a pilot episode and just trying to understand things. And just the, the, the shock factor of like, yep, that grabbed my attention. I get it. Uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and say like pretty high 
I don't know what our, our scales are going to be here going forward, but like, well, let's call it like a, a, a between a four and a five <laughs> at a scale out of five. So maybe a four or four point, like five, it grabbed your attention and kind of, it, it started, it, it made you ask a bunch of questions in which case you're going to get answers for later. So I like it. It's just teasing. It's Agreed. enticing. I, I'm, I'm actually going to give it a little bit more. And I think it's because as a fan of really Scott sci-fi in the past, I felt that there was enough of a signature there that maybe anticipate what's going to come next. I see where he's going. And as I see where he's going with, with creating these episodes, there's a lot of fun shit to come. So I actually, I'll actually say it's like a four, eight, or maybe even a five. I wouldn't call it perfect. There's certainly some moments where, you know, there's, it's, there's some gaps and really Scott can do that. There's certain things that are chosen not to answer, but the questions are there. And that's what spurs up phone conversations like that. So yeah, I'd say 4.8, 5.0 for me. I have one Um, question. I liked it. The Jin or the, the Android that the humans brought from the mothership. His name was Jin. Why was he smoking a cigarette? That's a great question. You know, I when I think about a lot of a lot of the, these Android movies, there's all kinds of different justifications for it. And without further context, even after seeing, frankly, the whole season, I don't have a clear answer. What I would say is that uh, a lot of le- legacy Android things depict. You know, Ridley Scott covers this in Prometheus when David, the Android in that, is wearing a helmet. Some of the humans around him said, you don't need a helmet for oxygen. Why do you even wear it? And he calls out um, to make you more comfortable. It's actually the android is designed to make humans around them be able to function with them. So you wonder if some sly android is programmed with a unique personality to you know, haphazardly smoke a cigarette and dangle it loosely <laughs> from his mouth in order to show a nonchalant feeling. I, I don't know if that's necessarily it or not. But yeah, I, I, I feel like that's my like, best bet. Wait a minute, this moment. is an emotionless android that's only here to serve humans. What does he need a cigarette for? Is, is the nicotine going into his, his lungs? But then I think I'm like, well, tobacco might be gone in this era. I don't know. Anyways, it was just a funny observation I just wanted to point out, but no, that I'll leave it at that. No, great observation. If I had any questions, what are the holes on the planet? What the hell are these giant like skeletons that they're growing crops on? Uh, there's a, like we need to know a lot more about this planet. It's not just a random planet, and there's something deep inside it that I that we don't quite have figured we're out yet. More about it, that a completely different out. world. Like you're landing on a different planet and trying to unravel what happened before. Super. Oh God. If that were a real thing, that would be great. <laughs> yep but let's go ahead and uh, we, we go ahead and yeah. call it here uh looking forward to the next episode we'll record uh every sunday i would say and then yeah well it, it's, a, it's a work in progress so if anyone out there has any suggestions please let us know mm. <laughs> thanks